kids can be dismissed to their class as uh, if they wish to go. Um, you will want to turn in your Bible to Psalm 103, which Elizabeth read earlier today. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 502, I think. That's what I wrote down anyway. Uh, before I start, I noted that we have a celebrity among us. Uh, somebody's having a birthday today. Um, I know he doesn't like attention drawn to himself, but uh, Dan Cash Dan, stand on up. <laughs> He's now old enough to drive, so, uh, so uh, let's pray for Dan on his birthday, and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for Dan. Thank you for his service to this church for many, many, many years. I pray that you would bless him today on his birthday and bless our time together in your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Psalm 103 is a rather familiar psalm. In your little, uh, your bulletin, you have a little note-taking outline. There is a goof on there, of course, which is my fault, but um, we'll, we'll get that as we get there. But as an occasional worship leader, well, I prefer worship facilitator because we're not the ones that are really worshiping. It's all of us together, and we're facilitating that. This psalm struck me a while back while going through my devotions. It's really inspired a lot of songs and hymns over the years, everything from Andre Crouch to more classic uh, songs to most recently 10,000 Reasons by Matt Redman. Uh, it's been, that song has been in the top five sung songs in churches for the last several years. I don't know if you know that or not, but according to the CCLI, uh, it is. It's been number one a lot of that time. 10,000 reasons. What's inspired us so much in this psalm? And what does it really mean to us? That's what we're going to talk about today. What are a few of those 10,000 reasons that we have to praise the Lord and thank him? Uh, and what does it mean? So let's take a look at that. Uh, Psalm 103, you see it begins with a superscription. In other words, it's got a thing above verse 1 that says, of David. This means that it was written by David. But you'll notice also it doesn't have a specific context assigned to it, like a lot of the other psalms we've read. We'll say like David when he was running from Saul or uh, when he fell with Bathsheba or whatever. So this is just a general psalm, which means that's great because it's no other specific context means it's good for every and any situation. But you think of this, the beginning, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. How on earth can we bless the God of the universe? How can you bless the God of the universe? I mean, what a, a, a statement to even think of. Because we think of blessing as causing some benefit for somebody else. Uh, I want to bless you with $5. You know, here, Tim, here's $5. You know, that sort of thing. Giving somebody some benefit, um, some spiritual prosperity. For example, in the Beatitudes, which I'm reading through that section in my devotions right now, where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are these so-and-so, because they will obtain something. Well, this is not the word that is used there of giving somebody else some sort of benefit. Uh, the word bless 
means to bend the knee, to kneel down to, and to bless. It's actually a phrase, to kneel, only appears three times in the Old Testament besides this context here. And there's actually a close connection between kneeling and either giving or receiving a blessing. Actually, the word worship itself uh, implies to bow the knee to or to kiss toward, uh, that sort of thing. So it is a bowing toward, it is a giving of something. And and think of that, to bless the Lord, L-O-R-D is in capital letters there in your Bible. Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of the universe. Uh, How can we possibly bless the God of the universe? Well, it means to delight his heart by expressing love and gratitude for all he has done. When we worship the Lord, we're worshiping the king of the universe. So blessing, in this sense, is not we're giving something to God. What it is is that it involves a kneeling, an emptying of ourselves, an honoring of him, of worshiping him. Well, what extent are we to do that? He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, the Hebrew word for soul, nefesh, means a breathing being. It's your, your inner spirit, your soul. And he says, not just that, but uh, all that is within me, bless his holy name. David there is speaking of karev, the innermost being, your guts, your heart, your mind, whatever terminology you want to use. In the Hebrew culture, it spoke of the guts, you know, because you, you love somebody with all your guts. doesn't really sound that great in our, <laughs> our culture. But um, that's kind of what it was implying, is that it meant from your innermost being, everything within you. Uh, the Amplified Bible translates this to bless and affectionately praise the Lord. So... As we think about that, um, you know, it, it's speaking of something that's everything within us. Even the Puritans, believe it or not, as stoic as we think that they were, uh, actually believe that there's no true worship that does not touch the affections. Affections is your feelings, your innermost person. Uh, we are strangely, though, unaffected at times toward God, aren't we? We tend to honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from it. I mean, it's so easy when Elizabeth and Hillary and everybody was up here doing music, you just kind of go, blah, 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 you know. But singing with your heart, you know, that's what, what we really need to do. So to bless the Lord is to worship him with everything we've got, all that we are, from the inside out. And so often we do it out of rote duty or just blah, 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 instead of really meaning it. When we have that kind of attitude, it really leads to us forgetting his benefits. Verse 2, the psalmist admonishes us, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Have you ever forgotten something really important? Now, if you work at a hotel like I do, you see this happen fairly frequently had a lady leave her purse in the, her room that had a lot of money in it, you know. <laughs> so we shipped it. Actually, my coworker was a great guy. He took it personally down to the ship, the, uh, what is the postal thing? Business center, thank you, uh, down in town and got it right out to her. 
I had another guy leave his only pair of shoes. Now, how can you leave your only pair of shoes? I got, he had borrowed some, some flip-flops or something from somebody and forgot about them. But that's kind of what this word forget is implying. It means to mislay something, to be oblivious of it, lacking memory or, or attention. It's because we're so prone to forget that the psalmist gives us this reminder. You may have read the book of Deuteronomy before, and in Deuteronomy, Moses told the people at least 14 times, do not forget what God has done. Nine more times he specifically told them, do not forget. So he told them to remember, do not forget. And what happened? They forgot, and things didn't go well. But what is a benefit anyway? Well, benefit means kind of a requital, a recompense, or reward. <clears throat> but as we think through these benefits that God has given us, we need to keep in mind that these are things that God alone can do. These are things that alone stem from him. It's very easy to get fixed on the blessing rather than the blesser and forget God, God himself. He alone is the source of these things. So what are some of the things, some of the 10,000 things that we can uh, be thankful for. Well, the first one, what has he done for us? Verse three, who forgives all your iniquity. So first of all, we have forgiveness. Forgiveness means to pardon or to spare us from that iniquity or sin, uh, perversity, penalty, uh, consequences of sin. Forgiveness is something that God alone can do because we're unable to achieve our own forgiveness in any way. The, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this word actually in Hebrew is never used in the Old Testament of human forgiveness. This is only speaking of God's forgiveness. So he's not speaking about forgiving one another. This is something God alone could do, forgive all your iniquity. Next says, who heals all your diseases. So we also have healing. God is the source of all healing as well. Now there is a false bandwagon that some people have jumped upon with this idea of God healing and that God is required to heal everybody. And if you're not healed, something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with your relationship with God. And that's certainly a error in logic because as we know, most of us in this room anyway, God uses pain, he uses difficulty, he uses illness, he uses disfigurement, he uses whatever for his glory. I'm thinking of Terry Peterson going through all this junk right now, it's a, such an awful thing. Uh, he's using it for his glory, Terry, for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing it. Sometimes we don't understand when he doesn't heal. But you know what? He still uses it for good and for his glory. But think of all the healing he has done in your life, emotionally, even physically, physical healing. Um, our spiritual disfigurements and illnesses are more than we could even number. You know, and what a great God we have. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us healing. Next, it says, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, just one second time out there <laughs> next he says who redeems your life 
from the pits. We also have redemption. The pit is the grave of death in which we were trapped. Now, the King James Version translate that, translates that as destruction. So we were in a pit, but we have a redeemer. The word redeem you're familiar with if you were with us in the book of Ruth when we were studying that at the nine o'clock hour. Uh, there had to be a prescribed redeemer to redeem someone from their situation. And in Ruth and Boaz, we saw that as an example. But only a prescribed redeemer could provide redemption. That's something that no one else could do. God alone could provide for our redemption. No one else could step in and take our, our place. I couldn't uh, go to Steve and have Steve take my place, you know. Um, only God could do that. He's the only prescribed redeemer that we have. So not only that, uh, I lost my place. Here we go. Second part of verse 4, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. We have crowning. I couldn't think of a better way to put it. Crowned with loving kindness or steadfast love. That Hebrew word is one of the most important words in the Old Testament. It's a word that means kindness, love, mercy, uh, multitude of translations that's why it's hard for translators to translate it into one word in english this loving kindness or steadfast love is central to god's character and also he's given us mercy compassion mercy sympathy tenderness from the innermost being of god what an undeserved crown we have in him of that uh, loving kindness and mercy. Verse 5, who satisfies you with good. He brings satisfaction in our circumstances in all that we face. The Amplified Bible says, satisfies your years with good things. All that he gives is good. Even if it doesn't seem like it at the moment, it is good. And he is working a good plan for that. And we can have satisfaction. There's a word that sometimes we don't like to hear that's being content in what we are, where we are right now. And we need that contentment. And he can give that. He gives us satisfaction. And not only that, verse 5, uh, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. He gives renewal. He gives us new strength and new beginning. Now, this makes us think of that famous passage in Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. It says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So what a great verse that is. If you're tired today, if you're weary, he gives power to the faint. He is with those who are weary. If you're feeling old today, I know Dan's not feeling old, but if you're feeling old today, uh, he gives you renewed, renewed strength 
that's beyond your own ability. So he's given us all these great things, forgiveness, healing, redemption, crowning, satisfaction, and renewal. But that's not all, folks. There's more to come, more reasons. If this was not enough, what else has he done for us? Well, let's look at verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He works righteousness and justice. Sorry, I ran these all together so you're getting all the answers in one fell swoop there. Righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The oppressed sometimes is translated as those who have no rights, people who have no power, or those who don't have anyone to defend them. And I could go on a soapbox here about this issue, but I'm not going to do that. But even if it's in the ultimate sense versus the moment, God will bring about justice and righteousness. Because there's many today who are not experiencing that. And that's in our own country, too. So he gives righteousness and justice. Also, in... uh, The next verse, he says, he made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. So he makes his ways known. It's not a mystery. You know, he has made it clear. He's proved in the law his faithfulness in action. God made his ways known to Moses, and then the people of Israel saw the miracles and actions that happened as a result. Uh, They didn't have much understanding in those days, but uh, still, he makes his ways known, and it's not a mystery. He makes his ways known today. Are you listening for it? Are you looking for it? He'll show you. may not be as fast as you want, but he will show you. He makes his ways known. And then, thankfully, which will be the focus for most of our time today, is he has patience with the sinful, Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in compassion and forgiveness toward us. So what has he done? (laughs) He gives us righteousness and justice, makes his ways known, and has patience with the sinful. And that's you and me. But the greatest thing that I I want to spend the rest of the time talking about, primarily anyway, is God's dealing with our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy, which is sin and death. Let's take a look at uh, verse 9. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. So first of all, we see that God will not always chide, or the Amplified Bible says strive with us. He doesn't keep angry forever. Now, when we experience chiding, what is chiding anyway? It's where somebody's that kind of thing toward you. God does not do that. So where does that come from? It comes from ourselves, or it comes from the enemy, Satan and his lies if you're being chided and condemned and beat up and spit out it's not by god it's by yourself and it's by your enemy 
And God doesn't want you to live that way. He doesn't want you to live in condemnation and defeat. Because if you can get in that place, then the Satan has won his battle. You know, he's got us distracted and unusable. Verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. What do we all deserve? We all deserve hell and death. Not dealing with us according to our sin, rather, he poured it out upon his son. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But remember that old song? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Jesus paid it all. Not just some until he gets mad at us again and starts chiding us again. He paid it all. So, um, what a, a great God. Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth. Now, don't you love kids' questions? Adriana, you could go to the next slide there. Kids will ask you questions like, how far is up? Uh, well, it's, it's up. But up is really far. High, how high are the highest heavens? Just for your entertainment and to give you a break from listening to me, uh, have a little video clip to kind of illustrate how high the heavens are. And Adriana will get that going. I'll get out of your way. goes inside inside of her eye and that's kind of gross for some people so I didn't want you to have to see that so how high is up 
Now, I'm going to bore you for a second here, because I used to actually love astronomy and space and all that sort of thing. There's a measure from the Earth to the Sun called an astronomical unit. That's the distance between the Earth and the Sun. Well, if you want to travel one light year, that'll take you 5.9 trillion miles, or 63,241,000 astronomical units. So <laughs> it's over 63,000 times the distance between the Earth and the Sun. Or for you Star Wars fans, it's 0.3 parsecs. <laughs> now, to leave the solar system, as you saw on our video, you'd have to travel 100 billion kilometers. That's just to leave our solar system, you know, with our planets. Uh, to reach the nearest stars, you'd have to go 10 plus light years. To leave the Milky Way galaxy that we're part of, you'd have to travel 10 million light years and to the theoretical edge of the universe at least 10 billion light years. So how far is up? Up is really far. That's how high his love is for us. Next time somebody says, I love you to the moon and back, they're cutting you pretty short. <laughs> um, that is how high his love is for you today. Amazing. Another question that's hard is, uh, how far is east from west? Verse 12, as far as east is from the west, so far does he remove his transgression, our transgressions from us. Now, I don't have a globe in front of me, but if you were to look on the earth, a globe of the earth, if you keep going north, you're eventually going to start going south. So when you get up to the north pole, you keep going and you're going south. However, if you go east to west, there is um, no way to, to cross that same path again. If you keep going east, you're continuing east, no matter how far you go around the earth. Or if you go west, you're continuing to go west, no matter how far you go around the earth. How far is east from west? That's real far. Because you can't, the two don't ever touch. It's an amazing thing. But you know what? That's how far he has removed our sins from us. Amazing. Verse 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Like a father to his children, and we're speaking of a good father. I know some of you, maybe not personally in this room, but I've known people who've had a horrible earthly father. And we're not talking about your earthly father. We're talking about the God of the universe who is, want, is your father or wants to be if you don't know him today. He is a good father. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to get good, give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You know, our concept of who our Father is will lead us either to be a victor or a victim. Focus in on who God really is, who he is as your Father, and you'll walk in his victory. 
Verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Uh, he knows our frame. You know, as, as amazing as we think our, <laughs> we are, we're dust. We're made from earth. We're made from the elements around us. And you'll go back to those elements one day. But this causes such gracious compassion for God, from God, but we let sin buffet us so much. And we get so full of self-condemnation and or non-repentance as a result. So God has shown such great love to us that's unmeasurable and is uh, as far from east as west. Just uh, think about this for a moment. This is a quote I saw that was uh, by C.H. Spurgeon. It says, The blood of Jesus, sin dies in its presence. Death ceases to be death. Heaven's gates are opened. The blood of Jesus, we shall march on conquering to conquer so long as we trust its power. I can never express that thought better than by using those oft-repeated words. It seemed as if hell were put into his cup, he seized it, and at one tremendous draft of love, he drank damnation dry. And thank you, Jesus, is what I say. So stop with that self-condemnation and repent if you need to. Well, God and his children, verses 15 to 19, is David's next subject. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his, uh, his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. The thing that we need to remember as his children, uh, another song, we are a moment, he is forever. That has to be our focus in this life, not on the temporal things so much, but on the eternal. Sometimes it's hard, I know, <laughs> believe me, I know. Uh, we go through different difficulties in life. Uh, we struggle with little minor health issues or major crises and major difficulties. But we need to keep that focus on the eternal. Look at that, verse 17 again. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, the other day I was, was going to go out and look out at the ocean and the fog was coming in so I couldn't see very far. So it kind of ruined my experience. But what I was going to do is try to stand there and look as far as I could see. Oh, there's Hawaii over there. Oh, no, there's Japan. I can see it. No, you can't see that far. Um, that's the vanishing point of our vision. And from everlasting to everlasting literally means from one vanishing point to the other. Uh, there's no end to this, no end of the everlasting love steadfast love of the lord to his children 
another thing we have to keep in mind that it is not God's love or pity that saves us, but God's grace. For grace is a love that has paid a price. Were not for the death of Christ on the cross, there could be no forgiveness of sins. Yet God, like a tender father, put his, uh, but his pity is not a shallow, boy, that's not a good sentence. I'm reading a quote from somebody. Uh, yes, God is like a tender father, but his pity is not a shallow sentimental feeling. A holy God remind, or demands that his law be satisfied, and only his perfect son could provide that satisfaction. Is the human race worth saving, this author asked? Yes, it is, from God's point of view, even though we are dust. And we've seen the eternity of God just in the brief view that we had of how big the universe is. Even though we're dust, he saw us as worth saving. Believers today have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, is what Ephesians 1.4 says. And as we trust him and obey his will, he meets our every need. And that was by a, a, a commentator I read. So it's important to remember another thing as well when God works with his children. And this is where there, there's a boo-boo in your thing. Just ignore number eight <laughs> on your outline. We'll go to number nine shortly. But uh, important to remember is that God doesn't work just to save his children. He also works to transform his children. I, one thing that uh, Kurt and I both have been doing in, is during our devotions is reading a hymn as part of that. So we'll read our Bible and then read a hymn just to help us grow as, as worship facilitators up here. And one I read the other day was Rock of Ages. And a line really stood out to me in that it said, Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. There's two goals that God has for you. is to save you from wrath and to make you pure. He saved us, yes, but he works to change us and conform us into his image. And that work is sometimes not fun. Um, I read a uh, devotional during the Lenten season recently by A.W. Tozer. And in his Lent season devotional called From the Grave, and if you want to be convicted, that's a good book to read. Um, he shared something that helped me. I just wanted to read that to you. It's the ministry, and there's a slide on that, Adrian, the ministry of the hammer, the file, and the furnace. And it feels like there's a furnace in here today. It's kind of warm up here. <laughs> Praise God for the hammer, the file, and the furnace. The hammer is a useful tool, but the nail, if it had feeling and intelligence, could present another side of the story. For the nail knows the hammer only as an opponent, a brutal, merciless enemy who lives to pound it into submission, to beat it down out of sight, and clinch it into place. That is the nail's view of the hammer, and it is accurate except for one thing. The nail forgets that both it and the hammer are the servants of the same workman. Let the nail but remember that the hammer is held by the workman and all resentment toward it will disappear. 
the carpenter decides whose head shall be beaten next and what hammer shall be used in the beating. That's his sovereign right. When the nail has surrendered to the will of the workman and has gotten a little glimpse of his benign plans for its future, it will yield to the hammer without complaint. The file is more painful still, for its business is to bite into the soft metal, scraping and eating away the edges till it has shaped the metal to its will. Yet the file has, in truth, no real will in the matter, but serves another master as the metal also does. It is the master and not the file who decides how much shall be eaten away, what shape the metal shall take, and how long the painful filling continue. Let the metal accept the will of the master, and try, it will not try to dictate when or how it shall be filed. As for the furnace, it is the worst of all. Ruthless and savage, it leaps at every combustible thing that enters it, and never relaxes its fury till it has reduced it all to shapeless ashes. All that refuses to burn, it melted to a mass of helpless matter, without will or purposes of its own. When everything that is melted that will melt, and all that is burned that will burn, then and not till then the furnace calms down and rests from its destructive fury. So my question to you today is where are you in the shaping process? Are you a little nail ticked off because some guy keeps whacking you in the head? and making you do things that you don't want? Are you a piece of metal that's being filed away and chewed up and uh, you, you just feel pain as a result, but you don't see the end product? Or worst of all, are you in the furnace that's burning you up? You know, it, it's turning you to ashes and then it leaves behind the dross, but then the good stuff is purified by that furnace and can be turned to something beautiful. So where are you today in that shaping process? Trust your heavenly father. You know, he's the one who holds the hammer, the file, and controls the thermostat on the furnace uh, because he knows what he's doing and he's making you something better and you've got a purpose there. So trust your father. Finally, uh, verses 20 to 22 kind of the ultimate blessing of the Lord. David says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the, his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So he ends as he begins. But we also see him uh, blessing the Lord of hosts. God is the Lord of hosts of angels. And all heaven cries out his praises. Will you today, in whatever situation you're in, you can bless the Lord from your soul, from all that is within you. And that doesn't matter exactly what circumstance you're in. He just wants to hear from you. He wants to know you and wants you to know him today. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this great psalm of blessing, but it's a blessing toward you, thanking you for everything that you've done, thanking you for all the great work that you've accomplished. 
Lord, as we think about these things and try to put them into practice this week ahead, I pray that you would encourage us, strengthen us, help us, Lord, to um, learn more of your purposes and to trust you, our Heavenly Father, the God of the universe. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 103 has kind of packaged a whole list.